This is a podcast from Minute Media. Sox fans, here are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. The Bastards are back for this Friday edition of the podcast. We are part of the Minute Media Podcast Network. Just a disclaimer for any first-time listeners. This isn't a homer podcast. We're going to call it like we see it. And, you know, when the Red Sox are dominating, we'll celebrate that. When they're getting destroyed, we are going to be critical at times and sometimes even savagely blunt. If you're easily offended, press the uh, stop button right now. We don't really need you. So, but for those who embrace it, let's get started. I'm Andrew Dwan, um, usually in the co-hosting seat tonight, sliding over to the main chair. With me, I got Terry Cushman. And uh, he's down in sunny Myrtle Beach. How's it going, Terry? Good, good, good. Like the co-pilot seat. Yeah, you know, I've kept it warm. Um, This is a whole different role for me. So I think our audience will be a little happier to hear you speak more than me just rambling on per usual. (laughs) (laughs) And opposite of Terry, we got Jason coming in over in Westwood, Mass. How's it going? Doing well, yeah. All right, so we just wrapped up our series the other day against Detroit. You know, we're two series into this now. You know, the things are starting to come into light, and one of those things is Garrett Whitlock. He just got his extension. We have him through his age 32 season. So what I want to know from you guys, now that he's got his money, what do you think his role is going forward? And I'm not just talking, you know, this season. I want to know next year down the road, are we going to see a continuation of him being a four-inning piggyback guy? Are we going to see him, you know, be the back end of the bullpen guy, closing out games? Or are we going to see him as a starter? I think that you're going to see him in the role that he's in now as sort of your four-inning swingman for your back-end starters who maybe, you know, are either whether it's because they're guys like Rich Hill who are older and can't go deep into games or because you've got young guys coming up who can't, who aren't fully stretched out yet and can't go deep into games. I think he's going to be your swing guy because when you look at the money, that's not starting pitching money. Um, that's, that's the kind of money you give to a guy who is a swing man, who is a, you know, back into the bullpen kind of guy. I think while he's, healthy and while he's in his prime you'll see him pitching four or five innings at a time you might see him start every now and then but I don't think that him I don't think Garrett Whitlock making 30 to 35 starts a year is what the Red Sox had in mind when they gave him this extension I think this is just the way the game is going now the way the game's going now is it's very rare that pitchers go seven eight innings anymore they go four or five and then bullpens take over and guys like Garrett Whitlock take over And I think that's how Bloom wants to run it. I think that's how the Red Sox front office wants to run it. So I see him kind of, you know, sticking with this role 
for quite a while. And then maybe on the back end, as you get towards the back end of that deal, maybe he's not pitching as many innings. Maybe he is your closer by then, or maybe he's a seventh, eighth inning guy by then. But uh, I think this is the role that he's going to stick with for a while. I think Garrett Whitlock is going to be starting games this season. And it's hard to it's hard to roadmap that when you know you're getting sale back at some point. You're getting James Paxton. It's going to be a very crowded rotation, but his stuff is just so good, just so good, so consistent, and he's giving you top of the rotation stuff. He's probably he could be a number two on most rotations, and. I think the propaganda is going to be out there. People are going to be clamoring for it. And the escalators for his option years are basically for innings pitched. And that's, I think that tells me they expect him. I could be wrong about 2022, but I expect him to be a starting pitcher at some point. That's how that contract structured. And he's got a fully rebuilt elbow probably doesn't have to worry about another surgery on it uh, for the remainder of his career. And it's a team friendly contract. He was, they talked about it before the lockout couldn't come to an agreement. And then just, I think the last day of spring training or perhaps opening day, it was agreed upon, took a little bit while for it to get announced. He uh, ultimately did decide to, to take that deal, but, He's too good not to be a starting pitcher. So I, I think that's what's going to happen. My ultimate fantasy is Garrett Whitlock starting game two of the ALDS. It's fantasy, well, though. <laughs> I mean, that would be quite the leap from <laughs> moving into, you know, the fourth inning to the starting the second game. But let me throw a hypothetical out here. Or maybe it's not even a hypothetical. It's a, what would you rather? Would you rather him be throwing 170 innings with maybe a three, eight to four, two ERA in the two, three spot in your rotation or 80 to a hundred, but in, you know, the role he is now or back end of the bullpen, but the ERA being half of that. What do you, what do you guys think is more valuable to this team? Well, I think the second option, the the role that he's in now, where he's only throwing 80 to 100 innings, that's more valuable because if he is doing that, that tells me that your rotation is fine and that your rotation is doing what it's supposed to be doing. If he's all of a sudden being thrust into the starting rotation because Rich Hill fails or Michael Walker fails, Tanner Houck fails, and you have no one else coming up, then that's kind of an organizational failure. So I would rather see him stay with the role he's in now because that tells me that you've got five starters who are at least giving you competent innings for, you know, one through five, and then he's coming in after that and dominating. So that's what I would prefer. I think he's better than a a 380 ERA. I think think he's a – he could be a two-something – on some years. I really believe that he's given up one run in six and a third or something. And that one run came in his third inning of the, was that opening day? 
I can't remember. It was either game one or two of the Yankees series, but he's uh, a pitcher's gonna chances are give up a run, uh, you know, in a few innings of of play. Avaldi uh, today or yesterday, you know, two runs in five innings. I mean, you'll take that every time, and I think I think the floor for Whitlock is extremely high. I think the ceiling's very high, and I think the floor's very high, and. I just think he's still going to give you a better chance to win than a guy like Waka and uh, a guy like Rich Hill and, and certainly at this point Tanner Houck. So I still do it, and I'm I, I don't hate our bullpen. I, I don't. There, I'm not lacking faith that that that's going to be a problem uh, throughout the year. So I'm obsessed with him starting. <laughs> So, in my opinion, I think he stays in the bullpen all year long this year. I think they'll probably resist a lot of public outcry and a you know a lot of outside influences if you have your four and five guys struggling. But I do think that this year he is strictly pen. Now, next year, I think that's going to be completely, completely different scenario. I think he goes in uh, spring training. I don't think there there's going to be a competition. I think he's going in there with a spot in the rotation. They said this year that, you know, he was going to be battling out for a rotation spot. And I don't think he was actually ever given that opportunity. I think, you know, they changed their mind. They're like, you know what? He's our swing guy. We're just going to use him four or five innings over, you know, a couple, you know, once, once a series. So I really don't think we're going to see much of a change this year, but I think that's the last time barring crazy career struggles that we're going to see him um, not being a starter with this Red Sox team. But, oh, yep. I was going to say, I I can live with that scenario. Yeah. And if he does turn into that number two, he's a top 10 contract in baseball. You know, he got him for eight years. I, I, I can't. There's not Acuna, and who else is bet, on a better deal at that point? And that's the thing. That's why I thought, you know, for sure he would just stay bullpen swingman, you know, for most of his career. Because if he does go into the rotation, like you said, next season, and he's your number two starter, and he's, you know, making thirty to thirty-two starts, and he's, you know, pitching lights out, that contract's insanely good. It's almost too good to be true at that point. It could be one of the the best in recent memory. One thing I want to point out, because we're we're trying to decipher what the role will be, and and we're we're all over the map, and that's good because we wanna we want to give our audience multiple angles. But in game he he came in after Rich Hill, so that was game two of the Detroit series. The Red Sox were down three to nothing as the the start of the sixth inning was uh, was starting, and Whitlock was was up pitching. Like, why are they why are they using him in that in that spot? Like, what's the value of of using Whitlock in, in a long role with zero leverage? We're behind. We did end up by the end of that inning. Uh, tying it so you can kind of justify it at that point but he was already up warming like Alex Cora made up his mind 
that Garrett Whitlock was coming into that game no matter what. And I just don't understand it. Save him. We could have used him in game three. Would you rather have would you rather have Whitlock coming in with a a sizable lead at least and and not having the 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 meltdown that we saw with that bullpen before Robles came in and saved the day? I'd rather save him for a situation like that. And instead of a losing thing. So even as we sit here and try to decipher what his role will be, I, I don't get what Cora's is doing with him. The only thing I'll say, the, the logic to me for, for game two of this series when he came in after Rich Hill is you're only down 3 nothing. This offense, that, that shouldn't be insurmountable by any means, you sh- especially against Detroit. Like, I think Cora put Wicklock in because he's like, all right, it's 3 nothing. Whitlock can hold these guys to three, and my offense hopefully will wake up and should be able to overcome that. And now all of a sudden we're in a winning situation. Um, Now, obviously you're right for game three, would you have rather had Whitlock than the mess that the rest of the bullpen was? Sure. But I think he also looked at it. He said, well, I've got Evaldi going game three, so he should keep a lot of runs off the board. And, you know, Evaldi, I think maybe didn't go as deep as he wanted him to. Um, But yeah, the, the idea there is you have Whitlock come in for Hill you know, you're only down three, nothing. The offense should be able to bounce back from that. And then you've got Whitlock to hold it down the rest of the way. Yeah. Jason, I'm uh, pretty aligned with you on this. I think core was like, we're not star one and four. This isn't going to be a thing. We're going to bring Whitlock in. We're not going to let up another run the rest of this game and offense. You better pick this up because <laughs> that is exactly what you're supposed to be doing. And I, luckily it happened. Um, I don't want to see him coming into games like today. I, I really don't. I, they either have to be in a high leverage game down or up by one or two runs every time. I think I think you treat him like it's the ninth inning if it's the sixth. You know what I mean? He's your closer. He's coming in with a one-run lead. He's going to protect it, and he'll probably go the distance. And yesterday, what was he, only at 30 pitches or something like that? That was, that was Maddox-esque efficiency out of him. And if he's going to be that efficient, He's going once a series, and he's going four innings. But um, more on the bullpen, and we teased a lot of this last episode. I think we've seen some struggles, for sure, out of some lesser guys that we probably don't expect to be on this roster come two or three weeks. But I think roles are starting to get a little more defined. And I'm curious that, you know, if we're in a must-win game, Whitlock's already gone. We're not, you know, he went last game. We have to finish off the seventh, eighth, the ninth inning, and we're up by a run. Who do you guys have? So the way I sort of thought of this is I did combos of righty-lefty because I figure it'll be matchup-based each inning. Um, I think that's how Core will play it. And in my mind right now, your seventh inning is Robles, and right now it's Austin Davis. I'm hoping soon it won't be. Um, I'm hoping soon that's Josh Taylor. Um, that should be your seventh inning combo. Eighth inning, I would have Sawamora and Matt Strom, one of those two guys, depending on if it's righty-lefty. And your ninth inning should be either Diekman or Matt Barnes. Assuming that Matt Barnes can get himself right, get that velocity back up. If you've got a bunch of righties coming up, I want to see Matt Barnes in there. If you've got lefties, I want to see Diekman. Um, that's kind of how I would structure it because I do think that 
Deakman is really good, but I don't think I want him closing all the time. I don't think I want him closing, you know, against three right-handed power hitters necessarily. That's not, I don't think that's going to end very well. So, and I, I still think Matt Barnes, as long as he's just not pitching, you know, five times a week, I think that he can hold up and not get burnt out. So that's sort of the combos that I have going. I don't, it's hard to assign exact innings to a lot of these guys. We're still trying to figure out who we have, what we have. I I think we can all agree there's a lot of potential in this bullpen. But I think Diekman, no matter what, is going to be in high leverage in one of those three innings. I think he's one of your three guys. I'd like to think Matt Strom could also... Uh, B in that spot. I don't believe I've got my notes here for this series, but I don't think Strom has given up a, an earned run yet. I could be wrong. He's been stout the whole time. He hasn't really pitched a, a full inning either, so he's been used a little bit more situationally. So it's tough to tell how Alex Cora sees him, but he's a guy, also a lefty like Diekman, that could be seeing some some high leverage and. For now, I just kind of like Robles in that in that last uh, in the closing spot. I will he be the closer in three months? I don't know, but like I said in the last show, he's building off a stellar September. He either gave up no runs or just one run, I think, in all of September. It, it was it was a really good month for him. Um, so I, I think for now that that's kind of where I'd like to see him. And the interesting thing about Robles is he's never been on a team with a with a great pitching program. He came up with the Mets, went with the Angels, which is where careers go to blow up, especially with pitchers. And now he's and he went to Minnesota for a cup of coffee in the first half of 2021. Now he's with the Red Sox, who hopefully they're getting their their program together. And uh, I'm just, I'd kind of like to ride that wave. I don't have a lot of faith in Matt Barnes over even half a season, let alone a full season. So I just kind of like Barnes in the sixth or seventh, and you're you're just trying to get what you can get out of him. His velocity was down uh, recently. So, so give me at least Diekman and Robles in those last three innings. I'd like to see more of Strom. I think that could be the secret weapon of the off season. The, the quiet one that was kind of under the radar and, and so be it. Yeah. I'm with you on Strom. <clears throat> I I've loved him. I've loved everything I've seen out of him going back to spring training. Uh, Robert Murray after the signing on Twitter, came out and said that he sees him as a guy that might be signing a three-year deal, like eight to 10 million a year after this, um, after the season, if all goes correct, because he hasn't had arm injuries. He had a knee injury that derailed him and his stuff has looked pretty filthy. I, I actually had him for my ninth inning guy. Um, really? I know it's, yeah, it's a leap for him, but he doesn't walk anyone, which is absolutely huge for me there. Um, going just in order, reverse order now, I had Robles in the eighth. I think he can come in, <clears throat> hopefully has a clean inning. I know he, he can kind of clean up some of the garbage on the bases, as we saw on Wednesday, uh, where he <laughs> worked out of that bases loaded jam and saved that victory. 
But I like him coming in with a clean inning in the eighth. It would make my heart feel better. I, I really don't want to go on a Hanzo Robus adventure. And then I had Diekman in the seventh. And I've liked what I've seen out of him. I think he might just take a little while longer to get going. He drilled Meadows in the back when I really thought he had him net at bat. He battled back from, I think, 3-1. They fouled off like one or two, and he lost him. But uh, I was hard-pressed, honestly, not to go with him in the ninth after that appearance in Yankee Stadium where when he struck out the side. <laughs> that, that was amazing. And Barnes... I don't have him. I, I don't have him in the mix. I really don't. And let, until that velocity ticks up, if it ticks up, it's. I, I have not. I don't have much faith um, outside of seventh, sixth, seventh inning guy. He had a good curveball working against Detroit on Wednesday, but that was about it. Uh, I'm off Barnes. I think you guys are kind of the same, but right now my trust level is zero for him. Deakman. Real quick on him, he needs a clean inning, I think. If he's got traffic on the bases, it could go the wrong way fast. Like, his stuff is finicky. He needs to locate that slider. And even if he he lets a runner on himself, he could still figure it out. And it was nice to see. You mentioned the the appearance at Yankee Stadium, striking out the heart of the order. Um, And... I think that's because he did have a clean inning and, and if he's put in that situation a little bit more, I, I think, I think the confidence goes up for him and, and for Red Sox fans as well. So do we have time for one more? I have yeah. one more on the docket. Yeah, go ahead. All right. Well, one guy I want to get into, and honestly, it almost bleeds into the Whitlock talk from earlier. It's Tanner Houck. Um, both had similar roles last last season. And I think Tanner is pretty dead set on being a starter. But is his stuff dead set on letting him start? He had a rough first game against the Yankees. Um, you know, he only lasted three innings, let up a handful of runs, which was not great. Six hits. Uh, I don't think he struck out. He might. I think he only struck out like three, walked a few. He needs a big bounce back. Uh appearance against the twins but he's a guy that when paxton and sale come back he might be the first one out if waka is still surviving somehow i had feelings about pretty strongly about how last season where i wanted to see him in the closer role i thought he would have worked out really well in that i do think the player pushed back a little on there where do you guys want to see how going forward I mean, ideally, I want Tanner Houck to, to make that next big step forward. And, you know, he he has to know the score. He, the writing's on the wall. Like you said, Sale and Paxton are going to be back in the second half. And it's going to be him, Waka, and Rich Hill fighting to stay in the rotation after that. Um, if he can't beat out Michael Waka and Rich Hill to stay in the rotation because he hasn't been pitching well enough, then... Sorry, Tanner. Like, I know you're dead set on being a starter, but maybe you're not cut out for it. Maybe you are cut out for more of the Garrett Whitlock role. Or, like Andrew suggested, maybe try out being a closer. You know, that's that's how Whitlock kind of got started. He was closing games for a while. Um, maybe that's where he ends up. Ultimately, what I want is for him to be 
your back end starter because I do want the Red Sox to actually have a pitcher that they developed actually make that big step forward and end up in the rotation. What I think is going to happen is he's not going to stay in the rotation. He's not consistent enough. And I think that he'll adopt a late inning role in the second half of the season when Sale and Paxton come back. We all picked Toronto to win the division. And we're coming off of a playoff run where we went much deeper than we expected. And if we want to do that again, you need a guy like Tanner Houck to step up and, and be that effective starting pitcher. And like I said, he's the, he's the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. He'll come out and he'll tease you with just a brilliant start and, and punch out a lot of guys. The walks are down. Then he comes back and, and his very next start and it's the opposite, you know, four or five walks, nothing but traffic very easily uh, at Yankee stadium, he could have given up five or six runs with, with all those base runners. So it can go the wrong way fast. I like the fact that he, he battles. He, he doesn't seem to be, he doesn't seem to be rattled by the moment at least. And I just, I want to say we've developed a good starting pitcher since, since John Lester, and we're still not able to say that. I, I know Jay Groom had a had a good start, and he's he's going the right way in Double A. And Bello, I, I don't know what the timetable is on him. At least probably what a year or so, but he's looking studly. Um, I I'd love to see Tanner work out as a starter, and that's that's my hope. And he's got. We're halfway through April, so he's got six or seven more opportunities potentially to to get it right. But time's uh, time's running out for him. Yeah, I'm going to say something, and I could easily deserve to be dragged for this. But if health aside, say everyone in your rotation makes it through, and when Paxton and Sale come back pretty much at the same time, because it's looking maybe mid-June for both of them. If Michael Walker and Tanner Houck have similar ERAs and Walker's maybe a half run higher, I I kind of want Walker to stay in the rotation over Houck. And then you move Houck into a piggyback role, as you've done with Hill and Whitlock. I think he could really flourish on that. You're like, listen, man, you're going two times through the rotation or through the batting order. Don't worry about, you know, maximizing your pitches to get through that third time. Cause I don't know if he's gotten through the order yet in his career unscathed for the third time. I, I just don't see him being that kind of guy. I think they start picking up on things. It's only really two main pitches there. I just, there's not a lot of starters that can go long into games with just that uh, two-pitch repertoire. So I think I'd like to see Tanner Houck piggyback with Waka into like a seven-inning guy. And I think it actually takes some of the pressure off Waka too. Just give us four innings and then Houck will give you three or four. So I, I don't know. Maybe you guys feel differently about that. I know Walk is not exactly the most popular guy in the clubhouse um, amongst fans, but that those are just my thoughts on that. 
Yeah, I think Waka has to like completely fall apart for how to have like a solid rotation spot because otherwise, I agree with you. I'd rather go with the veteran arm who you know has had success in the past, and maybe he's not the same guy he was a couple of years ago, but I would have more faith in him and I would trust him more you know, down the stretch, if we are going to go on a playoff run, then I would Tanner Houck, who, you know, again, like you said, it, once he gets that third time through the order, yeesh, look out. Walk is an interesting case. Uh, you know, not a high strikeout guy. And here on a one-year deal, I was probably, I probably hated that contract the most. But... It's tough to tell. I mean, it's a good problem to have. It's a good problem to have right now to have all these bodies. You know you're getting a couple back. Alex Cora can make the pieces fit. So we'll just have to see how it goes. I think we all want we want Hulk to be a starter. We want it to work out. Realistically, it, he might have to go to the pen. And, and if you do, I mean, you, you just talked about your three guys you like and Diekman is in there, Robles and, and Strom at how can there, then, then, then what's your bullpen? Uh, so like I said, not, not a, not a bad problem to have. Yeah. Just as the case, you know, most seasons as the Red Sox go, I mean, it's going to be however the pitching goes. So any, any final thoughts on the matters guy? Are you good? I'm good. Yeah. I think we covered pretty much everything with this bullpen, and it's just going to have to unfold a little bit more. And I think we will see that with a four game series in Minnesota or with Minnesota at Fenway coming up. So thanks for making this part of your uh, Friday commute, everyone. Follow Terry on Twitter at Cushman MLB, Jason's at Color of the Iris. I'm at Andrew Dwan MLB. And let's go, Red Sox.